the Ain't No Fang Podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. In one of the most memorable games in Chase Field's history, the Arizona Diamondbacks take down the Dodgers and are going to play for a pennant for the first time in 16 years. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Alex Weiner. Back in town, you've been traveling with the team so much. They didn't even get a home game until their fifth game of the postseason, uh, but they made a count with, like I said, one of the most memorable moments, games in Chase Field's history and in front of 50,000 of your closest friends. Yeah, that was a, it was a cool experience just to sort of see what it would look like because, you know, it's against the Dodgers and in the regular season, you never know what like the ratio is going to be with the blue and the red. And it was a legit like home field advantage for the Diamondbacks yesterday, it appeared. I mean, um, the place got really loud. We're going to talk about the third inning explosion because I thought it was going to start shaking or something like the like everything was going to start like. Um, <laughs> like seismic, activity. yeah, like something like that. Like it was, it was, it went crazy. So Brandon Fott said, who started the game, said it kind of felt like a different ballpark at points of the game. So yeah, it was kind of cool because I'd never been to a Diamondbacks postseason game at home before. Uh, so it was kind of cool to see what Chase Field looked like in that environment, and and it was like a legit like this is home field advantage, uh, and that's something that you know they'll get at least two more home games, uh, maybe three. Uh, depending on what happens in the NLCS. Yeah, I mean, those postseason games do feel different because you're right, during a regular season game, and let's be honest about this, the D-backs don't have the best record for attendance. Um, So when you do get a Dodgers series or a Chicago Cubs series, it is, you know, going to be 70% their fans because we have so many people in the Valley from those areas. And the postseason's a different animal. And whether it's the Cardinals, the Suns, the D-backs, the Valley really rallies around those teams when they do get to this point. So, yeah, you had a ballpark that has too many seats, which is kind of a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in the postseason. It's kind of a curse in the regular season at times. And you get 50,000 people who clearly love the Diamondbacks. The fact that the Dodgers were down 2-0 in the series certainly helps with attendance numbers Probably. for the D-backs fans. Um, and just the way that they were losing, having, you know, 11 runs on them in the first game, the way that the Diamondbacks jumped on starting pitching. But yeah, let's talk about what I've been calling the inning yeah. uh, in that third inning. Probably really starts with the end of the second inning when Lance Lynn comes off the mound with his own little celebration, which I don't know <laughs> what that. pitcher yeah. celebrates after the second inning is over. But lo and behold, he kind of did something. A little bit, he, he knew he wasn't, you know, maybe he knew he wasn't going very long. He did something a little bit uh, provocative, a little bit physical. Um, it wasn't <laughs> bad necessarily, but I think the Diamondbacks fan, uh, team noticed it. And they come in in the next inning and hit four solo home runs, including Gabriel Moreno hitting a foul ball that was overturned. And then he hit another one just to make it more obvious and clear to everybody. Uh, It's never been done before. I think it's probably the greatest inning that the Diamondbacks have ever had. Ooh, (laughs) that's a tough statement. I uh, I mean, obviously, like, you know, game seven. The 2001 World well, Series. I mean, that's a great moment. As... Great complete offensive inning. Yeah, but it took the Tony Womack double to get to the Luis Gonzalez game winner. So I feel like enough of Mariano Rivera, not sure. Lance Lynn, who was throwing batting practice out there. Yeah. So I, maybe I, I push back on that necessarily. But yeah, it's never happened before in postseason history that a team hit four home runs in an inning. And to get the, it started from Geraldo Perdomo, who had one home run since May, to have a power trip like that from him. I think it kind of set a little bit of a, of a tone. Uh, and Lance Lynn, he's given up a lot of home runs this year. He's, I think he gave up 44 home runs in the regular season. 
he's been prone to it. He, he gets some swing and miss, um, but he's he leaves pitches over the middle sometimes, and he just got crushed. That ball by Cattell Marte was just crushed, and, and Cattell leans it. back and watches it go. Christian Walker just like had like the quietest, I guess, home run of the inning, just because it's like, oh, that's a Christian, it's a classic Christian Walker home run, and then. Moreno, it was so from the press box, you're on the first base side. So you're just kind of watching the ball go and it goes into the bullpen and they call it a home run. Um, and so it's like, okay, I guess it was a home run. And then you look at the replay, it's like, oh, well, nice to come back. And then Lynn just leaves the slider that drops right perfectly over the heart of the plate. And Moreno, very next pitch that he sees, an absolute no doubter. I mean, it was kind of, it was a crazy environment for it to happen in. Um, the Dodgers end up pulling Lynn, so none of their three starters in the series lasted three innings. It was just, uh, yeah, it was the inning. It's definitely going to be like, you know, I feel like because yeah, obviously you mentioned like, could be like the most like biggest inning of of D-backs history in the postseason. I, I think this will be remembered as like the inning as opposed to like the moments. I, I feel like that you're correct. In. There are things that get labeled like that that everyone just remembers. When I say the triple. Everyone knows what I'm yeah. talking about. Archie Bradley's triple in the wild card game in 2017. Um, you know, you think to other big moments in the Valley's history, um, the Valley Oop, uh, which was DeAndre Ayton. And then you've got, you know, the Hale Murray and, you know, what was it? We need uh, a pun the, for this. Jail guy. Murray. Yeah. And so like the, uh, the Jail Mary, I should say, those things just get labeled. And I think this one is going to be one of them. What would be um, the label then? What? I'm just calling it the inning. The inning? I'm just calling it the inning. Something with four. I think something with four. I'll think on it. I'll think about it. I'll think it. on the we'll branding there. On this. Um, but <laughs> as far as Gabriel Moreno is concerned, he does end up leaving the game after getting hit yeah. on the hand. I was a little curious why he kept his his throwing hand in front of him to begin mm. with because the ball comes off the bat of Chris Taylor. I think he was trying to bunt. He was. And it hits Gabby in the hand. He stayed in the game initially, but they eventually took him out, replaced him with Pavin Smith, and then obviously a defensive replacement later. Um, what is the news on Gabriel Moreno and his hand, and will it affect him going forward? Yeah, so it's funny. After he stayed in the game, on the very next pitch, his hand was behind his back. So that might be lesson one of learned. those lesson learned kind of deals. <laughs> uh, x-rays were negative. That's what Tori Lovello said after the game. So he's going to be day-to-day. The NLCS doesn't start till Monday, so they have a few days off for him to heal up. A little bit of wrapping on his hand when they were jumping in the pool, but like... He wasn't wearing a cast. It wasn't anything like that. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think that they dodged anything serious with him. And um, the day-to-day, I guess, explanation kind of makes it seem like he should be good to go in four days. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's still something to monitor. But I, th- I think they – I mean, the fact that the x-rays were negative, they dodged anything serious. Gabby has certainly taken his bumps and bruises. He took yeah. that bat on the backswing. He took the bat uh, Stayed in to that inning, too. Yeah, he stayed in there, too, and so he's uh, certainly been a trooper through these playoffs so far. Um, You mentioned, again, starting pitching for the Dodgers. They got four and two-thirds innings out of their starters. Not last night. In the series, they got four and two-thirds innings from their starters, 13 earned runs, Mm -hmm. an ERA of 25, and that went down 15 earned runs last night. So that should really tell you how much trouble they were in. it's the obvious story of how the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers this time around. It was all about jumping on starting pitching early in games and then maintaining the lead throughout with their bullpen. Let me, let me break down exactly how the D-backs were able to beat the Dodgers here. Uh, 
From the words of Irvin Magic Johnson, we're all disappointed that our Dodgers didn't hit or pitch well. That's why we lost the series to the Diamondbacks. I would agree. They didn't hit or pitch well, and that's that, probably why they lost the series. Good um, analysis there. From I, th- I, think, Magic I think he's spot on. Um, we didn't yeah, score as many runs as them. We didn't them, score as many lost. runs as them, and then they <laughs> lost. So, oh well. I love his tweets. They're, they're the best. Um, he's like the John Madden of tweeting. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, to, I mean, obviously the Kershaw one stands out to yep. completely jump on Clayton Kershaw in that environment um, set the tone for the entire series that this is not going to be like oh maybe they'll scrap together a couple of wins here and make this close this is like no they can they have the guys to potentially win this thing and win it you know handily and they ended up doing that Bobby Miller they had a little bit of a shorter leash on him being a rookie and their bullpen was you know they have a good bullpen uh, and then Lance Lynn was just you know they were just teeing off so the Dodgers entered the postseason in a precarious position with the starting pitching Walker Bueller's not back from Tommy John Dustin May is still down uh Tony Gonsolin got Tommy John this year Julio Urias uh you know he's on administrative leave allegations of domestic violence and so that's a lot of depth to lose um ultimately and so Cindergaard was no good Cindergaard was no good they dealt him for for Ahmed Rosario so from where they were at the start of the season, what the outlook was for like, oh, by the playoffs, Bueller will be back and Kershaw will be healthy. And, you know, Urias will have a big part in this whole thing. It, it just it completely flipped. And the Diamondbacks took full advantage. And it, it takes a lot of like, you know, to be, you know, the Diamondbacks, this young team who hasn't been on the stage before against the Dodgers team that's here every single season and going up against Kershaw of all people in game one. I mean, it took a lot of maturity and, um, it was pretty impressive to see what they were able to do as far as putting together at bats, providing some slug, but also grinding some out to set up the players who provided some slug. That was less so the case in game three. That was just four bombs that took everybody by surprise, I think. So, but like just in the first couple of games, they, they set themselves up to score and they were able to get it done. Creating the chaos that we talk about, but not necessarily in the way that we thought. Yeah, um, We thought that this team, like they did all season long, would do most of their offensive scoring by getting on base any way they could, swiping a bag here and there, kind of like sacrificing. Yeah. yeah, and then moving guys over and playing small ball, essentially, and winning games that way. And I figured if they were going to beat the Dodgers, they were going to have to do that in at least a handful of games. They didn't have to do it at all. Um, that doesn't mean they didn't steal bases. I think they still had like six swipe bags in the series. Um, they were still effective in those ways. But like you said, when you hit 13 home runs in the postseason right now, which is the most of any team, mm-hmm. but the team was 22nd in baseball in home runs during the regular season. The Dodgers had over 200 home runs. The D-backs only had 166. Uh, the Braves had almost double the home runs yeah. that the D-backs did. And look where the Braves are at right now. And we'll talk about them in a second. Um I think it was notable to what the Diamondbacks pitchers were able to do against the Dodgers' best hitters. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are both former MVPs. They've won World Series. They're going to be Hall of Famers, in my opinion. Um, And so to face those two guys as many times as they did in the series and for them to have as little success as possible, I don't think you could have drawn it up any better. I think they only had the one hit, and it was because Zach Gallen didn't cover first base. (laughs) and so it could not have gone worse for the Dodgers two best hitters they could have gone one for 21 or two for uh, sorry oh for 21 they did go one for 21 they did go one for 21 they could have gone over and um you know 
Tori, after the game yesterday, talked about like the plan worked about, you know, not giving them the same looks and kind of adjusting per at bat and what they're seeing. And part of that's also catching them at the right time and um, which they did. I mean, there wasn't even a ton of hard hit balls. Freeman barreled up a couple that got caught, but really that was it amongst the both of them. They're both going to finish in the top four of the National League MVP race, maybe three, depending on what happens with Matt Olson. Ronald Acuna would probably win. But like, yeah, it's so, and that was the big advantage that the Dodgers had going into the series is that they had a two-headed monster that could wreck the series on its own. And they didn't. And that put a lot more pressure on the rest of the lineup. And it's just, it's not the same Dodgers like deep lineup that we've seen from some of these teams. Will Smith is very good. J.D. Martinez and healthy has had very good stretches this year. Max Muncy, you know, ton of power there. But it's, it's, it, it put a lot more like emphasis on, okay, they're going to have to pull this thing through if the Stars aren't getting it done. While the Diamondbacks on the other side got production from everybody in the lineup. Eight out of the nine hitters in the Diamondbacks lineup hit a home run. Or have hit a home run this postseason, I should say. That's remarkable. Evan Longoria is the only one, and he had a RBI double in game one off of Kershaw in the first inning. And when you consider their age, outside of Longoria, I mean, yeah. this is one of the youngest teams to have this level of success. Gabby Moreno has three home runs. He's the first catcher ever 23 or younger to have three home runs in the postseason. Yeah. Um, I mean, Corbin Carroll, remarkable. Alec Thomas, and Gabriel Moreno are the three youngest Diamondbacks ever to home run in the postseason. And Geraldo Perdomo is also 23. I'd have, to, I'd have to look up the days, too, because they may be the four youngest. I, I, right. I didn't check after last night, but they might be the four youngest Diamondbacks to ever homer in the postseason. They're all 23 years old. That's what's really uplifting about this, too. I never felt like 2017 happened, right? And they go to the postseason, but your best player for all intents and purposes, was J.D. Martinez in the second half of that season. He was yeah. the best player in baseball for a while. We knew, we kind of knew he was leaving. We knew it was a rental trade. We knew that he would probably get offered a bunch of money in free agency. So it didn't feel like that 2017 team could really carry over super well to 2018. They were dealing with the Paul Goldschmidt stuff at that time. And so they didn't have a lot of carryover. This team is set for the long haul. They have a core that they can build around. Will Longoria be around forever? No. Will uh, Christian Walker's in his 30s? Do they have to figure out his contract? Sure. Do do they need to figure out what they do with Zach Gallen long term? Yeah, sure. There's some question marks. But for the most part, they've got a young core, especially offensively and defensively, I guess, where you've got Corbin Carroll locked up for a long time. Perdomo is still young. Uh, Cattell Marte's contract situation, I think, is fine for the time being. Yeah, they, years, yeah. they have the outfield, other than Lourdes Gurriel is available in the out, in the offseason. I think Tommy Pham as well. Mm-hmm. But they have a young core that could be around for a long time, and that's really encouraging. No matter what the outcome is in this postseason, you could still feasibly see these guys being in contention for a playoff spot for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and, and a big deal of this season, not only just making the postseason and going on this run to the NLCS, but knowing that they have blue chippers. And they do. Corbin Carroll is going to be the face of the franchise for a long time. You know, We'll see exactly what the future is like for Alec Thomas, but as a defensive stalwart and somebody who can hit righties very well, pretty well, and that's somebody that they're probably going to be able to rely on. Gabriel Moreno is the catcher for as long as, 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 long as he's he there, as, as long as he wants. Um, you know, obviously, Zach Gallen is somebody to consider as far as long term, but like he has proven that he is a top end, you know, ace of a staff and has stepped up big time in this postseason. So that was a big deal going into the season is, is sort of where they're at with some of the younger players. Um, and I think even guys who didn't have like great full seasons like a Brandon Fott 
like there was enough there it's like okay there's there's some optimism here going forward and now oh if they want to go out and address third base or grab another veteran starting pitcher they know where their sort of like hot spots are and what's kind of next so that's encouraging as far as being able to build a sustainable team um and who knows maybe jordan lawler is great next year maybe he's great in two years maybe ivan melendez you know strikes out less and is comes back and brings a ton of power to the mix in a couple of years so yeah, i don't know it, it, it does you're right it does feel like this is something they can build off of but mlb mlb is funny it's you never know yeah, you never know when your moment is going to strike. Um, you talked about Zach Allen being an absolute ace. I think this team has two legitimate aces right mm-hmm. now, and the rest of the league may not view Mer- Merrill Kelly the same way they do Gallon, but I think the way that they've both performed in the postseason and leading into the postseason, they absolutely are almost equals in my mind right now. I trust them almost equally. Um, Gallon went, let's see, what was the order in this series? Kelly went Kelly went one, one Gallon, Gallon two, went plot two. Three. You've got five days off between uh, last night and Monday for game one, whether it's Philadelphia or Atlanta, mm-hmm. who would you prefer to start in game one? Is it Merrill Kelly just because it's been the longest since he's pitched? I would guess or so. Or would you want to bump up Zach Gallen because maybe he is viewed as the ace of the ball club? Yeah, Lavello always kind of calls him 1A, 1B. I feel like with Merrill, it's going to be a pretty long time since he's pitched. So... Maybe when it gets to that point, it doesn't even matter, and you can just kind of line it up. I don't know. It, it depends how they view that. If they, if they would rather get Merrill in there quicker, um, just be, just so he's not waiting for too long, then I understand that. If they feel like it's long enough anyway, just, just get Gallon Kelly fought in there, then that also makes some sense. It's going to be a little bit different than NLDS, because in the DS, they had game one, day off, game two, day off, game three. That's not going to be the case. It's going to be games one and two are back-to-back, day off, game three. Three, four, and five are all on consecutive days. Day off, and then they uh, move off. Move, you know, if it goes that long, then you know the next two games. But so that's going to impact a little bit as far as like when who can pitch in what games. So, like, let's say it's Gallon in game one and Kelly in game two, fought in game three. By game four, is that enough rest for? top it's not normal rest. I think it would be one day short of normal rest. You could probably go game one and game four. In a series, you could probably pull that off. It'd be a little bit short rest, yeah. but they would have also have had extended rest leading up to it. So I don't know how they want to match that. But as far as the order of things, I don't know. It's not a horrible problem to have. Yeah, and with Tori Lavello being aggressive in his going to the bullpen when he does, you could pitch. Let's say you throw Merrill Kelly in game one, and then you throw him again in game four. In game four, you might not expect him to go six innings. You might expect to get four and a third, or maybe you do get to five. And so maybe they we would have some the a unbelievable earlier. facial expressions on camera from Merrill Kelly if they try to get him. Oh, believe me, I, I understand that. But the expectation, you <laughs> yeah. understand, because Tori Lovello didn't have to pull Brandon Fott last night. He was four and a third in. He only had two hits. I mean, he was practically untouchable for the most part. He had just given up a hit, I think, to Will Smith, if I'm remembering yeah, right. Yeah, double. Um, but I think at that point, a lot of people questioned, OK, should we really be pulling this kid who's been fantastic tonight? And going to the bullpen, it worked out. Joe Manaply comes in, he picks him up. Uh, Manaply's been really good in the postseason as well. The whole bullpen been good really down the has. stretch. In September, Manaply was very good too. Yeah. So uh, listen, I, I don't want to second guess Tori Lovello. In the moment, I thought to myself, hey, you could have left him in, and it would have been justified. And who knows what would have happened? Kind of the Kevin Cash out. syndrome. It's like, uh oh, what if the bullpen comes in and blows it? But that's the thing. The bullpen's been really good, and yeah. You know, they're playing the matchups that they, they, they don't want fought to get in. I, I guess how to explain it was he explained it like, 
they want to stop momentum. That was like the big deal as far as handling the pitching throughout this series is stopping momentum in its tracks. Will Smith hits a double. It's kind of the Dodgers' first sign of life offensively, really. A um, couple of hard hit balls didn't lead to anything in the first inning, and then from there, fought was terrific. Um, double from Will Smith. You have a matchup that you like with man apply and just like stopping it there. Fought did his job. Dirk fully gassed up. Just kind of let the relievers go from there. I, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing more than anything. Um, it was also yeah. a little bit of chess by uh, Torrey sure. Lovello. Sure, you want to, fl- you want to flip guys around. and Yeah, they, they did, he did that to an extreme in game, too, with taking out Zach Allen at 84 pitches to basically empty the Dodgers' bench of right-handed bats to get them all in a row and, and take away a little bit of flexibility there. Well, that sets up for the end of the game yeah. pretty beautifully, considering your seventh-inning guy, well, sixth and seventh-inning guy, really, Ryan Thompson, has been throwing in four out of the five postseason games. Kevin Ginkle's right-handed. He gets the eighth most games. And then Paul Seawald. Those are three right-handed pitchers. So if you can set it up by the fifth or sixth inning where the other team's entire lineup is going to be right-handed, that sets up pretty nicely for the end of the game. So I I did like that strategy from Torrey Lovello, especially if you have leads early in the game. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, All right. Man, I don't know what else was there to cover. It must have been one of the most amazing nights at the ballpark. Uh, I was here in studio, unfortunately. But, man, just watching on TV... Uh, was remarkable for the history of the Diamondbacks organization. It just felt like one of those major moments. Absolutely. I mean, to go up against the Dodgers and sweep them on your home field in a series where they never trailed, it was a full like end-to-end. They dominated the series um, with this young team, with that crowd. It, it, it did feel like a huge moment in the sort of for the franchise. Um, we'll see what it looks like in the next series, I guess, if we want to like go over their options. They're playing either the Phillies or the Braves. We're going to find out tonight. Game well, four. We well, we could maybe. find out tonight. Game yeah. four is tonight on Thursday as we're recording this. Um, game five would be Saturday. So it's only you know, one of those things. Like if the yeah. series goes to Saturday, it's like, uh-oh, the Diamondbacks have five days off. If I had to pick between <laughs> the two teams, like the way that they're playing right now, the Braves have not been hitting well. I think they're hitting 177 in the postseason right now. But yeah. that lineup. Nola I mean, was terrific. You know how three. good that lineup is on their best day. And so Atlanta's ne- certainly never out of this thing. Uh, until the final whistle blows. I guess that's a bad metaphor because there's no whistles in baseball. Um, but I, the, the Phillies have just been destroying baseballs. Bryce Harper can take over an entire postseason on his own. Trey Turner's been fantastic mm-hmm. over the last two or three months. Um, JT Real Muto has been really, really good. So Bryson Stott's hitting almost 300 in the postseason. That's not a lineup that I I want to face right now. And like you said, the Phillies have dominant pitchers as well, kind of comparable to the, you know, their top end of the rotation is similar to what the Diamondbacks have. Uh, I don't think I want to face either of them, but if I had to pick, I guess <laughs> well, I'm hoping for an Atlanta comeback. Really? You'd rather I, face the Braves? I think so, just the way that they're playing right now. But the only way that they make it to the next series is if they play really, really well over the next two games. And that would be some a heck of momentum to going into 16 the 16 errors in game four from the Phillies, an ugly win. Go back to Atlanta. Nobody feels good about it. Something like that. I you know? guess. But yeah, I mean, Philadelphia, you look at what they've they've toppled the Braves. They did it last year. Yeah. So um, the they're teams dangerous. that they're, beat they're, the best teams are tough, too. They were really, really good in the second half of the season. And a lot of their guys turned it on at the right times going into the postseason. They're hot. It's a hot team. It's a, that's That would be a, I mean, both teams, obviously. The Dynamics would be underdogs, obviously, of the sixth seed in the National League against either team. Both of those teams have playoff pedigree. Both the teams have been to the World Series the last couple of seasons. So it's definitely going to be another huge challenge. But 
you know, as long as the D-backs continue to play clean baseball, get what they're getting out of their bullpen, and just get the timely hit, then, I don't know, baseball's weird, you never know. Whoever they end up playing, they should probably be sweating the Diamondbacks a little bit, because they have the hottest bats in the game right now, the pitching has been really, really good, the starters in particular, but the bullpen has been fantastic. So whether it's the Phillies or the Braves, we'll find out here in the next couple days. It's a series that I'm I'm sure will be one of the most exciting that D-backs fans have gotten to watch in many years. Hey, uh, for Alex Weiner, I'm Steve Zinsmeister. We really appreciate you checking out the Ain't No Fang podcast here at Arizona Sports. Wow.